Good morning. I think I have this on. There we go. Awesome. Children. They're gone. Excellent. They can read, apparently. Or they just know. <sighs> Good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here doing this. Mona says that um, you can't hear my voice shaking when I'm up here, but I can feel it. Um, so before I start, some of you may have been surprised uh, when you heard Don say it this morning or when you read it in the bulletin that, that Chad was going to speak on biblical, biblical community. And so um, maybe I'm just going to point out the elephant in the room here. Um, maybe some of you are like, isn't, isn't he that guy that just sort of comes in a minute after the service starts, sits over there, and just sort of sneaks in. And then after the service is over, he'll casually sit there for a moment. If no one starts a conversation, he'll just sort of wander out to the truck and sit there and wait for his wife, who will visit with everybody else for 45 minutes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that would be me. And, um, and what is he going to talk about community? Or maybe you're a part of a life group that we were involved with, and you um, remember Chad saying one time, you know what, I don't think I need friends. Hmm. Thankfully, they didn't just ask me to leave at that moment. Um, and so maybe, maybe you're thinking, what's Chad doing talking about this? That's a great question. Over the last few years, I have been going through a bit of a, hmm, a search and understanding of what that looks like. So you throw in a little bit of pandemic, you throw in a little bit of church conflict, and pretty soon you have this um, former church leader who is rather cynical about church itself and what it all looks like. And so I've been going through a bit of a process and trying to understand what it should look like and what it looks like. And um, so I'm going to share some of that with you. And hopefully it resonates with you and we can grow as a group, a body of believers. Let's pray first. Dear God, I'm so thankful for today. I thank you so much that you have placed these people here and that you have put me here in this moment I thank you for the journey that you've taken me through in the last three weeks since Don talked to me. I thank you for the stops and the starts and the understanding and the frustration. And I thank you that you have led me to talk to people about community, and it's been good. And I pray that your words would be what comes out of my mouth and not my opinions. Amen. So what about biblical community? Mr. Judge, Andrew and I, we get together on a semi-regular basis, once a week. Um, master's courses, having babies, not me, not him, but his wife. Um, all sort of gets in the way, but we consistently say, are we meeting this Thursday? And it's always something that we expect to happen, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But we've been going through the book of Exodus. I wanted to go back to that, and it's like, let's go Old Testament. I love Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the things that God does there with his Israelite family, it's his people. 
And so that's where we're going to start today. We're going to start in Exodus. When we pick up the story, God has already made a promise to some guy named Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into, great, into a great nation, and this promise is included, I'm going to save the world through you and your family. All right, excellent. And so time goes on, and Abraham has children, and they have children, and, and the number of people gets bigger and bigger, and pretty soon you have these 12 sons, and they head off, they encounter a famine, they end up in Egypt. And there they are in Egypt, like lots of time goes by, hundreds of years go by. And pretty soon, the Egyptians are thinking, yeah, we could use these people, and they're turned into slaves. And so for many years, centuries, the Israelite people, God's chosen people, were slaves to the Egyptian people. And they didn't like that. And they were like, well, let me just say, when I read the Bible, I often have to go back and put myself in their place because then I can try to understand what they're thinking and what they're feeling. See, the people who all of a sudden that we see at the start of Exodus, those people haven't been there for 400 years. They've, they haven't lived that long. Their entire lives, all they've experienced is slavery to the Egyptians. That's all they know. That's it. And finally, they're frustrated. And they say, God, where, is, where are you? We're frustrated. Help us. And so, God does. God pops in, and he rescues them. Now, up until this point, as I read Genesis, I see the relationship between God and people on earth as a little bit sporadic. It's like he pops in every once in a while, big flood, destroys the earth except for one family, pops out. And he comes in and talks to important people. Abraham, I want you to go over here. And it was significant enough that Abraham was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go over there uh, because God, who I, I don't know anything about, is all of a sudden telling me this. And so it seems like God's just this pop in and pop out. And then one day he encounters Moses. And he says to Moses, knocks on his door, figuratively knocks on his door, and says, I think he lived in a tent, so I don't know, whatever that looks like and said, let's go. We're going to go save my people. I have heard them. They are in distress, and it's time. Exodus 6, starting verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I need to just back up here, and when God says, um, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord, that word in there is Jehovah. And that is God's personal name. If you've been in school at all, and I know most of you have, you would often refer to your teachers as Mr. Martins, Mr. Judge, Mr. Craker, Mrs. Braun, right? And then all of a sudden, yesterday I did it, I went to Home Hardware, and I went through the till, and there was this girl that I say hi to every day in the hallways. And she looks at me strange and says, 
I think I know you. <laughs> yes, I think you do. Took my hat off. I said, good morning. Oh, there it is, she said. All right. And so there's this distance, which, I mean, I think is a good thing sometimes. But then all of a sudden, hi, my name is Chad. This is God introducing himself at a, just a different level to his people. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. Let's continue. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. He says it like five times here. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. This story goes on. Maybe you've heard it. He rescues them in a miraculous way. He does the plagues so that the, eventually the Egyptians let them go. And they leave and they cross the Red Sea, another miraculous thing. And he takes them out into the desert. And there, God establishes his first community. I'm not sure we could call it biblical community because I don't think the Bible happened yet. Okay, so let's just call it God's community. And so he created something that's centered around himself. He built a tabernacle, or he got them to build a tabernacle. He said, okay, I want you to build this tent because we're moving around. We're going to be in the desert a little while, so we're not going to build a house. We're just going to make tents. And I want you to build a tent for me, and it's this tabernacle. And that tabernacle had an outer area and an inner area. There was this innermost room, and that's where the presence of God was. So it seems to me, since the Garden of Eden, that this is really the first time that God settled right in and said, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And there was this community, and he was the center. He was so much the center that all of the tents of all of the people were all the way around the tabernacle centered on him. In God's community, he, at that time, was the center of all activities, making his presence known on a daily basis. Numbers 9, verse 15 says, On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle the tent of the testimony, and it appeared like fire above the tabernacle from evening until morning. It remained that way continuously. The cloud would cover it, appearing like fire at night. When the cloud was lifted above the tent, the Israelites would set out. At the place where the cloud stopped, there the Israelites camped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at the Lord's command, they camped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they camped. Sounds like my kind of story. I love camping. And I hope that cloud would move every three days. After three days, I kind of get bored of one place. We ought to keep rolling. And so when God decided it was time to go, the cloud, the presence of God around the tabernacle would lift, and everybody would say, time to pack up. 
let's go. And so when God moved, his community moved. Now, as God led them around through the desert, he tested them. He was training them. He wanted them to come to trust him like nothing else. If God said, I want you to do this, and it seemed crazy, and in the future, past that time, God did crazy things. He said, okay, we're gonna attack Jericho, but wait, you're just gonna run around for a little while and blow your trumpets. That's crazy, that doesn't solve anything. But God wanted them to learn how to trust him. And so he did that. And then one day, the cloud lifted, and it went to the edge of the promised land, to the river. And God said, let's go. And the people hesitated. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, and they did not enter the rest. They did not enter the promised land because they did not believe. This is important. They did not believe. And so the cycle began. You may get the idea that I really like stories and I like telling stories, so we're just gonna have a story time today. And so the cycle began. One generation follows God. They say, oh God, I'm sorry for all the things we've done. We repent. And so they follow God. And then soon, usually that leader or a generation, they die, and then the next generation, ah, whatever. And so they don't follow God. And they follow God, and they don't follow God, and it goes back and forth hundreds of years. Pretty soon, there's more not following God generations than there is following God generations. And then the community falls apart. And God goes silent for like hundreds of years. He works in hundreds of years. God can do that. I can't. So for hundreds of years, God was silent. But then he made some noise. Galatians 4.4 says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son. At exactly the right time, in the perfect point in history, God said, it's time for Jesus. We need to send Jesus to rescue the people. And so they sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. And God sent his son, and he came down to earth, and he was human. A little bit different. Not a cloud, not an essence anymore, not something that the Jewish people in the desert, they were, they were scared, and they rightly so. God was holy. Now you have Jesus come down to earth, and he is amongst them again. And Jesus grew. And when he was about 30 years old, all of a sudden, one day, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now the action happened. This is where the good stuff is. And through Jesus, God began to build biblical community. I think we have part of the Bible yet there, right? Got the Old Testament at that point, right, Don? Right? I think they've got the Torah and all that stuff is there. So we could call it, start calling that biblical community, right? And just like God did in Exodus, Jesus started to reveal himself. He did powerful things. Just like God in Exodus did powerful things to, to say, you need to follow me. This is who I am. I am all-powerful, and I am your God. Hi, I am the Lord. Watch me do things. Now, Jesus was saying to his disciples, to his community, watch me. 
and he fed thousands of people all at one time from a couple of loaves and fish. And he stopped a raging storm in a moment. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. That's next level, okay? He defeated life. Death. Whoops. Defeated death. That makes more sense. And he established his community. Do you remember how he established that community? A couple of words. He went up to some guy named Andrew and said, follow me. And pretty soon, just like the cloud in the desert, when Jesus moved, his people, his community followed. Over the years, some of his community kept following. Some of his community did not. It says in the Gospels, and these words were too hard for them to hear, and many of them fell away. Jesus wanted to know, who's going to be faithful to me? And then one day, he says to his community, his biblical community, the disciples, he says, I have to go. I can't stay. It's pretty important that I go. They're confused. Didn't you come to save us? Isn't this the point? Wasn't the point that you were going to save us? And Jesus says, you don't get it. You will get it. Give it a little while. It won't be too long here, but you're going to get it. And on, that, on the day that he was arrested to be crucified, he prayed a prayer. And we pick it up in John. I love John. I love chapters 13 to 17. That is just so packed with everything. I'm going to tell you to read it later when you go home, but right now i got to tell you I love these passages. And Jesus prays to God for himself, for his disciples, and then for everybody else who hears his disciples. Here he's praying for his disciples. He says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. That's the disciples. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you, God, have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, because they are yours. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you. Jesus is going to God. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Oh, hold on here. That's an important verse here. Jesus says, he prays, protect them from the world so that my disciples will be one as we are one, as Jesus and God is one. If you are new to the faith, you need to know that that is significant. That God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we call it the Trinity, they are one. If you wanted to know what God looked like, you could just look at Jesus. And if you wanted to know what Jesus looked like or his characteristics, you could look at God. They're together in this. In fact, the people of Jesus' time would say, 
No one has ever seen God. And Jesus was saying, that would be me. In fact, that's what got him crucified eventually, is that he claimed to be God. And so when we talk about that verse, that prayer, so that you may be one, so that they may be one as we are one. That's significant. How do we become one? How do we become so connected to one another that we know each other's thoughts, we feel each other's feelings, we support each other, we don't even have to think about it? I remember this one time. I'm a shop teacher. I teach mechanics at the high school. And I, I had this student who was awesome. I think he was pulling wrenches when he popped out of the, room, out of the womb uh, on his front driveway on his truck. I think that's what happened because he was just, he was a natural. He would just know exactly what to do. And one of the things that I can notice about people who've worked with their hands before is they anticipate. And so one day I said to him, uh, I've got this car coming in. Uh, someone wants a CV axle replaced. Did you want to give me a hand? And he said, sure. And that takes, you know, depending on the vehicle, about an hour to do once you get it in and lift it up. And, and him and I, we went at it. And uh, it was, you know, hmm, this may sound weird, but it was a thing of beauty, okay? Because he anticipated everything that I was doing, and I anticipated everything that he was doing. We didn't have to say anything. I would do... I would do something on the vehicle, and then I would be reaching, thinking to myself, now I need this tool. I would reach over, and he would place it in my hand, and that we didn't even have to communicate. He knew what was coming, and then he would work on something, and I'd see what he needed. I would give him something, and it was in and out half an hour later. Bing, bang, boom. It was awesome. I really enjoy that. I'm, my kids and my students will tell you I'm a bit of an efficiency nerd. I like things to just go like that. And I like watching people who are good at something do stuff. I like that. And so when I think of being one with each other, I think of something like that. That picture is in my head. So it's significant that God and Jesus want us, his community, to be one. His prayer continues, and this is to the rest of us. It says, I pray not only for these, his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So that's like everybody else since then till now. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one, there it is again. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so the story continues. Jesus dies. Curtain is torn. I think Don referred to that a couple weeks ago. From the top, the curtain of the temple or the tabernacle is ripped wide open. The presence of God is no longer limited to the temple. And on the third day, Jesus defeated death, rose from the grave, and he visited his disciples, and they were stunned. There he is. This is awesome. He defeated death. He encouraged them. 
He showed them that he was there so that it could be in public record that Jesus had rose again. But he didn't stay long. He had to go again. And so he left. And then they waited. Acts 2 says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What an awesome sight that is. I think it would be a great time for communion. Don, Don's going to come up. Whoever else is involved in that can come on up too. While we take communion, I want you to think for a moment, and just like I did before, put yourselves in the place of the disciples. They've been on a bit of a roller coaster. They went from God, Jesus is going to die, he's telling us he's going to die, and he dies, and then all of a sudden you got this roller coaster shooting right back because there's Jesus again. And now, what are they feeling when they have to drink from that cup and eat the bread? Thanks. So Jesus gathered with his community, his closest community, his closest companions to celebrate a supper, a special meal together. We call it the Lord's Supper or we call it communion. Comes from the same word as community because we are meant to come to the table, come to these elements you see as a community together, just as Jesus modeled, as Chad's been sharing. So the scripture tells us that on that night when Jesus gathered with those closest companions, he took bread. He broke that bread and then he passed it out to each of the disciples. And he said to them, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then later that same evening, Jesus took the cup and he also passed that cup for each of them to drink. And he said to them, this cup is the new covenant, the new plan in my name. This cup represents the forgiveness of sin and that life everlasting is a gift to you. So as we come to the table today, and if you are a follower of Jesus and you've made your heart right with him, we invite you to come to the table to receive the bread, the very bread of life of Jesus, and to receive the cup, the forgiveness, and the life of his blood and his spirit. And we celebrate that together in community as we remember. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then after that prayer, uh, the worship team will lead us in a couple songs. And during those songs, we invite you to come. Um, you can line up on either aisle, come to either station. Just so you know, all the bread is gluten-free, so we hope that all can participate. So we invite you, come to the table. Come community to this gift given to you by Jesus. He is life. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the miracle of how you came 
to bring the true community that God had always intended for his creation. Oh, Spirit of God, move through this congregation today and knit us together as the kind of community that Jesus prayed for in those beautiful verses Chad just read. Oh, Lord, may we be one as you are one. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body, your very life given for us. And we just commit these elements of bread representing your body today unto you. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. And so we commit this cup to you as our symbol of forgiveness today. So Lord, we bless these elements. We pray that taking these elements today will bring great blessing and courage and fulfillment in each one of your followers today. Be with this community as we come to your table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the table.
Don mentioned to me when we met last week, he said, uh, I like the idea of uh, revelation or talking about the word and then response. And so we had a little response here. And now um, I want to talk a little bit about, so we have information. We're supposed to be one as God and Jesus are one. But what does that look like? I mean, so we've got information. Why should we care? What difference does it make now? Who cares? Why does it matter? Let's go back a bit. God leads his people out of Egypt. He saves them. He establishes a biblical community where he is the center. He placed them in situations so that they would learn to trust him. And when the cloud moved, they moved. Jesus became a man. He saved the world. He established biblical community where he was the center. He placed them in situations so they would learn to trust him. When he moved, his disciples followed. The Holy Spirit now dwells in the believers. That's us. He has established community. That's the church. And that is deeper than any community that we've been in before because each one of us has the Holy Spirit in us. That's important. He places us in situations so that we can learn to trust him. And when the Spirit moves, we are, well, we're supposed to follow, right? The rest of the New Testament, from Acts all the way to the very end, is a picture of God's community focused on him, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, figuring it all out. And you know what? They don't do it perfectly. In some instances, they do it really badly. And so then along comes Paul and Peter and John, and they gotta write a letter, a stern letter, a letter of warning. You, you gotta straighten up, you're a little off here. Um, there's expectations that you shouldn't have, or there is higher expectations than you're trying to meet. We need to pay attention to these things. It's a, it's a great example for us to look at and say, so how did they do it? You should do that. It's lots. You should just keep reading. There's lots of good stuff in there. I want to know how do we do it today. In some ways, we are just like the people in the, Old, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We still are selfish human beings. We still are full of a desire to be God on our own. It's the original sin. And so we're the same as the people. But we've got different things that we're dealing with. I mean, back then, and even a couple hundred years ago, people never went more than five miles from their home in their entire lives. They couldn't. It was too far to go. We go more than five miles every day. I don't even think twice of driving in my truck to the East Coast one summer and then driving back. That's 15,000 kilometers we put on. We don't even think about that. And so we have a very transient society. Some people who are here right now aren't going to be here in five years. And not because they hate us or we hate each other, but because they're moving somewhere else to take a job somewhere else. And so how do we do biblical Spirit-filled community now. Is it different? Is it the same? Great questions. 
But the fact remains that Jesus, in his last prayer before he died on the cross to save us, wanted all of us to be one as he is one with God. I could give you examples. Now, I'm not one of those people who has moved away. Mona and I moved away a little bit for a couple years, but we always came back. And so this has been my community for 51 years. I remember standing at that door when there was nothing else in this room but wires hanging from the ceiling when they were building this church beside my dad. He was taller than me at that time, holding his hand. Okay, So I've been a part of this community for a long time. People have changed. Some people are the same. And so I've experienced biblical community. And in some and many instances, it's been good. I see evidence of biblical community in my church right now. And I love it. I think it's awesome. I see people, young men, slightly older men, older men, sitting together, pouring into each other's lives. I love that. I see young women, older women, even older women, pouring into each other's lives. I see friends pouring into each other's lives, being one with one another. And it's awesome. I recall, I can't remember the year, Mona's better with years, but Danae was six, my, oldest, my youngest daughter, and um, she's had some health complications, and all of a sudden her and I were playing in the park, and she was swinging on the swings and stuff like that, and swinging on the monkey bars, and, and then all of a sudden she was crying, and of course, there was a medical emergency, and we had to, she had to be flown to Edmonton, and then all of a sudden it's um, an emergency, and at that time, we had just moved to town. We were renting a place. We just bought a house. We hadn't purchased it when we were at home that we actually had to sign the papers in Edmonton for a house that we bought here. So our, our life was a little messed up. And then all of a sudden, we were at a place where like, we bought a house that I had to fix. And so immediately, the kitchen got ripped out. And so by the end of September, all of a sudden, we were like, um, we have no kitchen yet, and we're having trouble. We're having trouble paying rent on the place we were living and at the same time paying a mortgage. That was just a little too much for us at that time. So we were going to have to move out of our rental place into this house that had, it was still, the kitchen was still at a stage of wires sticking out of the wall, not connected to anything, okay, and not all the plumbing in place. There was no cupboards or anything. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm not one to talk about problems. I just sort of put my head down and work harder. And, um, you know, that's Chad. He doesn't have to, he doesn't need any friends, right? But thankfully, Mona has some friends. <laughs> and uh, so Mona was, they asked her how she's doing. See, people in a biblical community, in a spirit-filled biblical community, they are one with one another. You know what they do? They connect with one another and know each other's problems. And so Mona shared with her friends. We're just, it's going to be tough because we're going we're gonna to have to we'll move into this place and cook on the barbecue for all of November or something like that. Not exactly sure. There's no fridge or anything there. And so one day,
Brenda comes and says, hi, here's a month's rent. Stay there for a little bit longer. Keep working. See you later. Well, that was awesome. A bunch of her friends got together and said, we want to support you and help you in this. Practical things that she knew about because we were in, I should say, because Mona was in community. There are some other things that I've seen where there are some awesome, spirit-filled, biblical community. It, just one that threw me lately. I was, um, many of you know that my dad passed away uh, in January. And um, through that whole process, last September, he was admitted to long-term care. And my brothers and I, there's just us three boys, um, we decided we need to get together and talk about how can we best take care of mom and dad uh, because things are changing and we don't know how long that's going to be or we don't know what the future holds. And so we... Um, got together, and we had a meeting. Excellent. And I have to tell you, through the whole process of, through September and the fall, and through his passing, and now interactions that we have together, there was a time where Tony and Joe and I had a meeting. Uh, must have been in February sometime, I think. And we weren't in person, we were video call, and so Joe was at home, I was at home, Tony was at home. And uh, we, we spoke for about two hours. And it was a spirit-filled, biblical community that we were in. And the way that I could tell was, I saw Joe being humble and listening to our concerns. And I saw Tony being humble and listening to our concerns. And I felt like, man, I, I can be vulnerable here. I can, I can be truthful. I can tell people what I'm actually thinking and feeling. And so we started to share. And we started to say, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And when we were done, I mean, here's three guys. Fiercely independent ranchers' kids, okay? And they don't make them more independent than that. I gotta tell you that much. We are fiercely independent. We had separate lives. We didn't hate each other. We didn't spend a lot of time together, quite honestly. And we came together, and over the last six or eight months, it's just been something else. Right, Joe? It has been. It's been incredible. And that's not because of me, because there were many times in the conversations that we had where it could, go, could have gone south. You all know about dealing, being executors and dealing, dealing with wills and all that stuff. It goes south real quick, but it didn't. It didn't, and you could feel, you knew that the Holy Spirit was there because it didn't make sense that we got off the video call that day. And with tears in my eyes, I said, Mona, that was awesome. It shouldn't have been, but it was. And it was fantastic. Spirit-filled community. What does that look like? Well, I think we've listened to Darren last week talk about discipleship. He did a fantastic job. Here's a weird story. Darren actually preached my sermon last week. I had it all ready in my head, and then he went off and stole it from me. But I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did, because he did a fantastic job. Um, and then 
Don the week before talking about church discipline. Those are the things. Like we just, this is community. Are you discipling someone? Is someone discipling you? That is spirit-filled biblical community. Are you doing something wrong and some people come to you and confront you and say, you know what, Chad? You're out of line. You need to straighten up here. And are you receptive to that? That's biblical, spirit-filled community. Can I trust the other person to be so full of the Holy Spirit that there is no selfishness in them that when they confront me and say, Chad, you're out of line, that I can say, I don't, I don't think they have any ulterior motives. Maybe I'd better pay attention. I've seen biblical community. About five years ago, I went to Darren's office and I said, Darren, you said something in that sermon. I think it was off. You didn't, you didn't need to back off on that. You didn't need to repent. You just needed to go whole hard. Now that's Chad's opinion, absolutely. But Darren, listen to me. And you could tell it was, it was tough. It's always hard to be criticized, right? And then a few months later, I said, so how did you feel about that, me just sort of confronting you about, about that? He said, I didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. I like it when I'm right. I like doing things. But he listened. Was I right? I don't know. We've all got opinions. But he listened. I hope I can listen. Spirit-filled community. Here's another example. Have you ever been the person who hurt someone else because of your own selfishness? And if you have, and you said, I'm sorry, and you confessed to that person, and it hurt them deeply, like, like so deep to their core, and then they forgave you, that is beautiful, spirit-filled biblical community. And then, not much long later, you hurt them again in the same way. And you say you're sorry. Let me tell you, the first time you say sorry for something, it's hard. But the second time, oh my goodness, that's almost impossible. That's hard. And then they forgive you. And in forgiveness is love. That forgiveness is an incredible thing. When you put that together and you say, that's what makes oneness between us. If I can be totally vulnerable, if I can be totally, here I am. I am so sorry. And they are comfortable enough with me to say, I forgive you. Because I'm no better than you. And we are just people. Committed to one another, like the girls talked about this morning, committed here as members of Bridgeway. It's a beautiful thing. My daughter, Jana, has told her story here, uh, I don't know, several years ago when she got baptized. A powerful story of being potentially enslaved to sin 
and having deep, meaningful relationships speak truth into her life at the most critical time. As a parent, her friends are my favorite people. I love them so much. I don't even, I, I probably wouldn't even recognize them on the street, but I don't care. I love them because they are speaking truth into my kids' lives. That is awesome. And so, biblical community, you all can think of it. I think you should have some homework. You should go home today and you should tell someone. I don't know, if you, if you have a spouse, tell them. If you have kids, tell them. If you have friends, go tell them. Go for lunch and say, you know what? This is a time in my life where I felt spirit-led biblical community. Where I felt it, where people said that to me. Do that. I encourage you to do that. I've got something else for you to do, too. I am a teacher. I don't give homework, okay? I'm a shop class. I'm not allowed to say, go home and overhaul that engine or something like that. That's dangerous. Insurance doesn't let me do that. So, um, but I, you know, I'm going to take this advantage this time to give you some homework. John 13 to 17 is such a powerful passage. And it has so much to do with what we're talking about today. Because if you read it, there are so many references to, and you will be in me and I will be in you. And we will be one. I mean, the prayer that he prayed was just summing up what he'd said so many times already. This spring, I have had some uh, incredible opportunity to... Um, ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. And, um, and then start dealing with the sin that is in my life. And in John 15, verse 7, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. That's an incredible promise. And then it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Oh, there's an S on the end of that word, disciples. I always read this as if it's just talking to me. But you know what I want you to do this week? I want you to go home and every day read a chapter from 13 to 17. There's five chapters. I would encourage you to do it. But I don't want you to do it in your head. I want you to do it with someone else because this is Jesus talking to other people. And then I want you to experience that as biblical community. It can be that simple. Maybe you don't like to read. Press play. Uh, you, you can find it online. Just It'll read it to you. Find the right voice. You could do it with an Australian accent. I don't know, whatever you want, but listen to it with somebody. Because God is talking to his people, his community. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I read chapter 13, took me five minutes. I think you got enough time, get off your phone, stop playing bubble, whatever you wanna play, and read the Bible together. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so thankful for this time and this space that you have given us. I thank you that you um, have given us Don and Darren, to shepherd us in this time, I thank you for this series of learning about healthy church. Lord God, you have created and designed us to have the Holy Spirit in us so that we might be one as you are one. 
And so I pray that as we go throughout this week, we would see opportunities to be a spirit-filled biblical community member with the people that we know. Thank you, dear God. And when we struggle, help us to ask, and you will provide. In your name I pray. Amen.